Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Follow along with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they explore the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Hey, Ben. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Doing all right. I think uh, uh, it's good that we're getting to Karen Katz's Where Is Baby's Mommy? Because so far, a lot of Delia's favorites have been neglected in in our episodes, but this is definitely a treasured uh, copy of hers. So she's, we're we're really speaking to her right now. (laughs) Good. Well, we we did not have a copy of this um, until you recommended it, and it has quickly become our third daughter's uh, favorite book these days. So it's very exciting. Um, why? So uh, I was going to say why it's maybe not too hard to think about why uh, particularly little kids like this so much because it's, it's a lift the flap book, which means that it's essentially like peekaboo just in, in, in book form. And I think peekaboo is one of those uh, games that even if you don't, You've never been around kids, and then you're, you're just like looking at a toddler, at, you know, across the grocery aisle or something. And they seem upset. You're like, "Well, what about Peekaboo? That's something kids <laughs> like, right?" Or and, and if and also if you're a parent, you're like, "Yeah, no, that's that's right. Peekaboo is a is just tried and true. Like it's <laughs> it's a universal." So, I mean, the, the basically the 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 plot of the book, such as it is, is it's just a no. You're sort of guessing where mommy is. It's a little toddler saying. Um, it's mommy is playing hide and seek with me is mommy in the closet and you, and you open up the closet flap and no, but my wagon is in the closet. And so you go around the house and look behind the plant and behind the chair and behind the shower curtain. And then finally at the very end turns out mommy was hiding underneath a, a blanket. And then along the way that the kid discovers a bunch of toys and things like that. So it, it's a little bit like playing hide and seek without having to go anywhere and which kids like hide and seek too. So I guess it makes sense that, um, that, that little kids love this book, but Delia especially seems to love like the Karen Katz book. So I don't know if it's the color pattern or, or what it is, but um, she definitely, it, it's when, when she gets to pick a book, she, this is the one that she often pulls off the shelves. I have to say what, the first time I was reading through this, um, I got a little nervous because I was at the, the second to last vignette and it, it sort of looked like to me like that was the last, I'd sort of, it felt like that was the last page. And the, the last one is, is mommy behind the shower curtain? And I thought, this is the last page. We're going to get mommy uh, yeah, tricky. <laughs> in the yeah. shower. I thought you were going to be worried out there was another page. It was going to be this, the, 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 the last page and they weren't going to find mommy. And it's like, just kidding. Mommy's gone. <laughs> mommy's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really awful. That's yeah. So she's terrible. She's, she's, Said she was going for a pack of smokes, <laughs> but yeah. Weird. So it's it's in some ways it's not totally surprising. Oh, okay. Wait. The other thing I noticed about this book until um, or I didn't notice until this most recent time that I read it is that the the toddler is going through the room like looking for mommy behind various things. But what what I hadn't what hadn't occurred to me is that each time the toddler opens a, a door, a curtain, or a plant or something and finds it, it he he or she finds a toy, some kind of toy. First, it's a wagon. Um, right. Then behind the plant, it's a I think it's a ball, right? Right. And then the 
at you see that like the wagon slowly accumulates all these little toys as the story goes along. So there's a kitty and then there's a teddy bear. And like, by the time you get to the last page, it's the little kid discovers mom um, under, I think under the blankets in her bed, but they've also racked up this whole wagon full of toys. There's a teddy bear and a cat and a bunch of uh, rubber duckies and a ball. And um, I, I don't know that it means anything, but well, like, I, mean, I, I guess like, it's oh. just, a, otherwise it's, um, and, and she does this in, I mean, her, her other books too, that, that way, like when you pull something aside, it's, there's still a reveal, like there's still something there and it's still exciting. She's like, nope, just empty space. Just, a, just an empty, you know, bathtub here. <laughs> nope. Nothing behind the chair. Just, you know, maybe some dust bunnies. <laughs> it's, there is still something to discover and, and, and you sort of gather the friends along with you on, on, is, is your playing hide and seek, which I, I kind of like that. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes it like a typical game where you're kind of, you're, even though you're you're making progress, even though you haven't, you're not winning at every stage. Right, which is actually games, but... sort of the op, usually the opposite of actually looking for something where you look and like it, it feels like you're not making progress, fail, or you fail, could be very fail. close. You could be about to find it, so you you could be eliminating spots where you know the thing isn't, or you could be just as far away because whatever it is like fell out of your pocket on the subway like six days ago. So. <laughs> Yeah, so I I don't know. Like I feel like books like this. On the one hand, it's obvious why little kids like them because they're they're very like they meet them where they are developmentally. They're very tactile and physical and sensory, even um, right. Like lots of bright colors, lots of things you physically do, like you move the flap, um, and that makes sense because as we as our journey as readers kind of progresses, books become less and less tactile right. and sensory, and more and more conceptual and intellectual i think um so so that makes sense like for evangeline i know she's she's at the stage where she's she's really getting good with her hands you know she can like pick things up and obviously like (laughs) to our chagrin like put stuff in her mouth all the time like every single little like marble and thing she finds in the ground she got dangerously close to a cockroach the other day which was kind of horrifying (laughs) um so but it's got kind of a for her i think she really likes the main action of like page to page like swiping page to page but it's like there's like a double swipe in each page you got to turn the page and then there's this other swipe going in a different direction you have to pull the door side to side or what yeah well one thing about that is that because they open in different directions like when you lift the tablecloth that lifts up but then yep when you're looking behind the chair the chair lifts to the side we we're now on our we a lot of our 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 karen katz books are missing the flaps because Delia is like, Oh, I, I see how it is. Like you just, you, you put this either. And, and she's really, she's a very forceful flap lifter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you forget like the, you know, which way, which way it goes, I mean, it, it kind of, you can kind of intuit it because the, the flap is slightly raised. So it's, it's not too hard to guess, but definitely she goes against the grain, you know, or she opens the flap the wrong way and then ends up ripping it off. And so we've got a lot of like cat's flaps, just like floating around, <laughs> floating around, the floating house. just flaps. yeah, just little like you know like flowery curtains <laughs> strewn about, you know, little cutouts. So, but that's maybe that's kind of a maybe this is a stretch, but it's a precursor to like narrative tension down the ro- road. Like it's not you're okay. not just going from page to page like finding things. Right. You actually have to like put in some some work that kind of goes against the grain. Yeah, well, I, um, I, I really like that. Obviously, uh, dramatic, <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> Um, 
yeah, so this is uh, this has been an exciting one um, in our house as well. And actually, my my second daughter kind of likes it too. She like, has fun with it too. Um, I'm sure that'll that'll fade pretty quickly. But um, yeah, um, the and the the visual style is interesting too. It 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 feels kind of Eric Carly at first. Yeah. Like it's it's got these kind of like layered cutout um, right. feels to them, but it's. I feel like it's even more colorful than Eric Carl. Like mm-hmm. it's really, it's bordering on overstimulating to the adult uh, sensibility. I think color right. sensibility. Like there are a lot of colors, a lot of very bright um, primary colors, a lot of textures going on. But it's also it's. I'm pretty sure this is kind of mixed medium yeah. uh, art. There's there's like it looks like kind of colored pencils and maybe pastels in sections of it. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of different kinds of patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, of but that that makes sense too right because babies love patterns right that's right. like a thing like they're um so it's it's i feel like karen katz has really um you know really reviewed all the research on what's going to be stimulating for for young kids and just yeah. packed it all into these into these books well something that she i mean i don't know um that she stands out in this regard a lot of but she started her children's book career at least published you know pretty late so she was already a little bit older when these started c- coming out um, about 20 years ago. And so I'm always kind of intrigued by that. I, I don't really know that like what, like what I would learn from sort of doing a, a survey of when authors started publishing children's books and, and kind of the mm-hmm. average age of a children's book author. But it is, it is interesting to me that like it's that when, whenever you have somebody that is sort of like doing it after they've done presumably something, <laughs> something else for, 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 for a long time. And then it's, it's, it's such a specific kind of like medium that, that she, that she works with. So. Yeah. I, so a thought that uh, struck me while thinking through and writing up some notes for this book is it's, it's interesting to me that we, um, people have gone pretty hard on the like interactive elements uh, to children's books for, for books for young kids, like yeah. for board books. And, um, but then that it, it kind of just stops at some point, like once, once kids get to a certain age, like books basically stop having interactive elements in them. And right. I, I had the thought that like, I wonder you were, if re- you're reading like Proust or, or something and there was just a big pop up. <laughs> Where is the board book version? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I wonder if, and maybe this is a stretch um, as well, but I, I wonder if there's be- like real tangible benefit to having book having kids books where the books really encourage kids to be like active and engaged with the book so like you when you're you're not just being read to when um your your parent or caregiver is reading where's baby's mommy right you are actively like engaging with the book um and i i would i would like to believe it would be cool if if you did studies on this or something and you could show that kids who are exposed to more books that encourage active, even physical active participation, maybe have some sort of a benefit in terms of later on as, as readers being more oh, sort of engaged or proactive in their reading. What, what do you think of that? Yeah. Or, I mean, the, or the, what if it, what if it was the other way around and readers who like they, once books stop having that physical thing, they stop reading books and they turn to other things where they're still, you know, more fully oh. engaged. And it's like, yeah, you know, the, these Karen, these cats books were a real crutch. Just ruined reading for a whole generation. Yeah, and then once I realized that, you know, uh, like, you know, at, 
books for, you know, after I was five, they didn't make books that had, you know, flaps more. And so then I was like, well, I want to, you know, I want to get into, I don't know, rock climbing. But I think it's a big, it's, you know, it's a big question yeah, yeah. of how do you like, how do you facilitate kids, not just reading, but really, um, I, I mean, I think one of the things that predicts um, a life like loving to read and actually enjoying reading later on is that you, when you talk to people who do love to read, they're they're very proactively engaged with what they're reading. It's not yeah. just like a, a chore or formulaic. They're they're very involved in one way or another in in how they're reading. Um, and I I don't know that there's you know like there's I've seen research that suggests that it's it's a good idea to um, at least at a certain age like kind of ask your kids questions about books as they're reading. So after you finish a chapter or or even like a page, right, sort of not quiz them exactly, but ask them what they think was, was going on um, in that, have them kind of like think through and summarize and sort of process on a different level than just that more passive, like being read to. So I, w- I wonder if there are more like creative ways to um, encourage that kind of active participation yeah. in reading. Well, also, but at what point, so one thing that I think that readers can be sus- suspicious of is if something seems gimmicky and mm-hmm. like, this anytime you're requiring an action, the, you have to buy in. Delia has definitely bought in to, to lifting the flaps. Like she's <laughs> she's fully committed. She's <laughs> she's heavily invested. But but as you get older, like requiring people to do things, if like if, if they're too cool to be, you know, lifting flaps and doing puzzles and and things like that, I, I wonder if that if that comes into play too, or because it's what you want them to be engaged, but you, when engagement requires sort of additional activity on their part, is are you offering them or are you sort of requiring it for it to work? Then it becomes maybe a, a, a different sort of thing. Have, have, your I, kid, have, have any of so um, has Elena, is Elena too cool for, for books at this point where she's like, Oh, that's, you know, I, I, I liked that when I was too dad. Is she, does she scoff at anything or does she feel like she's advanced beyond certain books? So, so far, anytime, um, Gabriella, who's, so Elena's five and Gabriella's three. So anytime Gabriella chooses a book, which on average are, um, younger books, she, I can't think of a single time when she's been like, Oh no, I'm not interested in this. Like, see you later. She still wants to like sit through it anyway. Um, so I don't think she's hit that stage yet. Um, but like, what about Jack? Will he do that? No, with, with... I, no, he's, he, I mean, there is, I, I don't kind of the same thing. He might not select the, this is definitely the one that Cordelia, but, but if like, if you were to say, oh, well, maybe this is like a special time, you know, for Cordelia, cause she picked this book. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm in there. I, I love this. He's there. I love this yeah. just as much, maybe, maybe more, maybe, maybe twice as much, <laughs> maybe six times as much. So I feel like where this does an example from my own reading history of, of what you were describing, like maybe you can go too far with kind of the gimmicky, like be super proactive with your reading um, is I, there was a stage in the, I don't know, maybe the nine, mid nineties, maybe when of like choose your own adventure books yeah. were like, that's at least when I like encountered them. Mm-hmm. And I remember having thinking like, wow, like this sounds awesome. Like really cool. There's like, you get to like go down different paths in the story and, and I just never liked them. Like I could never get into it. Um, 
and I, so I, I feel like it's an example of, yeah. I don't know that those were written with that intent exactly, but it felt too cumbersome to me. And I, right. I just thought like some of them, some of the side plots felt kind of lame and it sort of felt like they were trying to get you to go in one direction anyway. And, right. um, so I don't know, maybe you're right that, that, uh, less is more when it comes to, um, but you know, but I'm, but I'm also to... guessing that probably there was, I think there are some people, uh, who loved choose your, like, so you, I mean, yeah. it's more of a risk. So you're maybe. just saying right. some people aren't willing to take that jump. Lift, lift that, lift that flap. Go, go, <laughs> choose that adventure. Well, that's that's maybe what I'm wondering is like if for if you, if you knew say that you had a a kid like say you had a kid who pretty early on you identified as um, being dyslexic right and you, you kind of knew that reading was a struggle for them and it's not that you you wanted to get rid of um, traditional kind of books and reading but I wonder if you could think through how you know how would you write a book that maybe made it easier for them to or more interesting for them to engage with given the struggle of um reading like purely based on text Um, yeah or or, or, yeah no no that that makes sense or or to put reading in a context where a book is not something where it just showcases like how quickly can you like master vocabulary or these sort of signs and but it's kind of a, a fun place to explore things and you can do that in a lot of different ways and text is part of that and it's an important part that's going to be used but it's I don't know but you can you can kind of use other you know skills in, in that same kind of landscape right like I, I even think about um, the wind in the willows like introducing Elena to it and it's obvious in some ways it's it's a little uh, beyond her like it's it's definitely more sophisticated in terms of language and plot. Um, but I, I made the decision. I, I feel very validated in this when I was buying it on Amazon to buy the, the like nice, more expensive hardbound version that has like generous amounts of well done illustrations instead of the like three ninety nine Signet Classic uh, right. version, which has you know nine point font and <laughs> super dense. Because she she has become really interested in this book in large part because it has almost every page has some kind of illustration, even if it's a little one. And you can see with her, she'll get lost kind of with some of the the story in the text, but the images will kind of anchor her and help her stick with it sure. longer than I think she otherwise would have. So that even that right there, like why 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 don't we have more illustrations in even in like older kids' books? Like I mean I think why I, I would like that. I would want to read like a, a novel that had more illustrations and I think that'd be cool. You know, that's, I feel like sometimes I get some debate of some, sometimes, uh, this is when, when people have, like sometimes when your imagination is at, is at odds with, you know, the, uh, the illustrations are like, it, it's the illustrator's like conception of it. And that's that kind right. of, cla- it kind of clashes. Have you ever, like, there was a, I had a friend that had a book of illustrations of Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. and every, every page was a different scene from a, from a different artist in a different style. Oh, huh. And it was interesting to see how, how differently people can right. kind of conceive the same story. And so maybe, but, but I agree with you. And I think, and I think that there used to be, I mean, it, it, the, the, there used to be sort of a, you know, all these old editions of treasure Island and things like that. There mm. were famous illustrators that would illustrate them. And, and especially yeah. when they're, books were like a real investment and so you would get like a hardbound version and it was this prized physical object so um i don't, I don't know how we can 
figure out how to get some kind of kickback from telling people to buy always the most expensive version <laughs> of, of any of any children's. Yeah, I think, I think there's something to that. Um, hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Thousand and One Good Nights. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.